Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Alex, and your team for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, or you can use the few Bibles that are in front of you, I'd like you to get ready for the text that we'll be using this morning, which is found in Matthew chapter 13. How many of you like stories? A good, you like a good story. I find myself reading some storybooks recently that a colleague of mine turned me on to. It is a fictionalized account of the life of David, and the books are called David. There are three of them, and I have read, without shame, all of them at least twice. And I can confess today, Dr. P, that I've read the third book three times, and I can't wait for this woman to write the next one. Kimberly, do you understand what I'm talking about? Everyone loves a good story. What is it about a story? I like Terry Fivish's writings because she, she humanizes David. If you've ever read anything she's written, she talks about Joseph, and she also does a story about Boaz and Ruth. And she really brings a human side to them and makes them more than just characters that are in a Bible that I read about. But she makes them almost seem like someone I could walk alongside to, with someone I could talk to. I like a good story, and I, I like reading too. And then the, the, the problem with reading that's not for study, can I get a witness? <laughs> reading for study, just not a story. So it, it, it doesn't have the same appeal. It just, it feels like punishment. <laughs> and I understand that some of you might feel like you're being punished, but please study and, and learn those things so that when I come to see you, you'll know what you've studied about, amen? Everyone likes a good story. In our educational settings, when, we, when you're sitting in front of a lecturer, the things you remember, if we're honest and truthful, are, are, are the, the lectures or the lessons that have illustrations that bring to light the principles and the concepts that we're being taught. So even in a lecture, every now and again, a professor may be able to throw in a story that helps to bring that point home. This morning, we're going to spend some time looking at one of the greatest storytellers ever. His name is Jesus. Jesus is a rabbi, and like all the rabbis of his time, he told stories. The stories that he told took the form of parables. And I remember as a child learning that a parable is a story about earthly things with heavenly applications. What Jesus did when he told parables wasn't new. All the rabbis told stories. All the rabbis told parables. But the commentator says that Jesus was different because his parables were very simple. He used everyday experiences to teach about God. His parables were also very vivid and had elements of shock, surprise, and even a punchline. So Jesus' parables were very, very different than the rabbis who had gone before him. If you turn in the Bibles, in the pews, page 14, 1,455, or you can look at the screens above um, Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at the story here. It is called the parable of the sower. And I want to ask you, if you've ever heard this parable before, suspend your understanding of it. 
Pretend this is the first time you've ever heard it. Take away all your preconceived understandings about it and just let's start from scratch. Could we just start from scratch? Could we? Could we look at it if this is the first time? If you're willing to say yes. Yes, first time. For some of you, this is the first time. And it reads, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and, a great and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they were withered. They withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Mark and Luke also have versions of this same parable of the sower. Picture in your mind with me, Jesus. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and multitudes have come to hear him teach. Sets up a class by the beach. Who does that? I mean, if you're going to go to school by the beach, what are you going to want to do? Go swimming. Who? Surfing. Boogie boarding. All the dangerous stuff you all do. <laughs> and yet Jesus sets up his classroom by the ocean. And so many people have come to hear him. His lecturing area is from a boat. Picture it in your mind. And Jesus begins to teach them on the seashore about a sower. The sower has his bag around him. He has seed inside of this bag. We don't know what it was. Was it barley? Was it wheat? It doesn't matter what seed was in the bag. What you must capture in your mind is that the sower goes out to sow seed. Can you see him? He doesn't check the grade of the soil. As a matter of fact, Palestinian farmers were known in the ancient Near East to simply go out and sow. They didn't plow first and then sow. Have you ever lived in Michigan or Indiana or any of those great middle states of the country? You see those, 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 those wide, vast acres of land, and you see that turbine going out there with the plow behind it, and it goes out, and it cuts through that soil. And then later on, you will see some, another machine coming out and planting those seeds. Our modern way of planting is we plow, then we plant. But in the Palestinian way of planting, in this time period, they simply went out and threw out the seed. That sounds bizarre to me, because I want results. I want to know that if I'm going to stand out here in this sun, hello somebody, <laughs> and walk up and down these fallow ground, and I throw seed out, I want to know, I want to guarantee that I am going to get my crop. 
You want to know that when you have spent your money, your time, and your effort, getting up early in the morning, staying up late at night, and studying, that you're going to be in the top of the class. Mm. <laughs> For those of you who have the gift of not studying and getting on top of the class, you're like, ooh. <laughs> but this sower goes out simply to sow. If you look in the chapter, you'll notice that Jesus does not give an explanation immediately for this particular parable. It almost seems like he does that little 10-minute break that we get in between classes. You know, you get a lecture for an hour, and then they go, okay, take a break. And depending on the class, you're like, oh, how long will it be before the break? And you're counting, act like you don't count the minutes before the break. I went to school, too. Some classes, you can't wait for it to be over. And others, you're like, oh, we're done? But there's a break in the story. Jesus does not immediately give an answer. And I got stuck with this story. Can I tell you what I got stuck with? Can I tell you? Yeah, you want to know? I wanted to know, why didn't the sower care about the soil? Why was it important to the sower that all the seed ended up on the good soil? Why isn't that important? I don't know if that bothers you, but that bothered me when I looked at this parable. We take a 10-minute recess and we see Jesus having a conversation with his disciples. His disciples come to him and say, why are you teaching these people in parables, Jesus? And then Jesus says something interesting. He says, he quotes Isaiah and he says, I, I teach in parables because truthfully, everybody won't understand what I'm saying, what I'm teaching. He says, you, my disciples, you have been, you're able to understand. It's been a gift given to you for you to understand. But these people, everyone here will not get it, will not understand. And then he quotes Isaiah, who says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. School of Public Health, we have a Bible study every Tuesday sponsored by the um, Student Association of School of Public Health, and we're actually going through the book of Isaiah. And we just read this chapter a couple of weeks ago, and we went through it. This idea that God would tell us something, fully knowing and fully understanding that we won't hear, and we won't all get it. I'm married to this wonderful man. It's been 15 years since we've been married, and I knew him for about nine years before we actually got married. And he can still today confound me. He'll say something or he'll tell something, and I'm sitting there going, what? And he goes, you didn't get it? And I go, no. And then he'll retell it again another way, and he's laughing. Other people are laughing. <laughs> and I don't know, should I admit again that I don't get it? <laughs> Have you, has this ever happened to you? where someone says something and everyone around you is ha, 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 or looking really thoughtful, and you're sitting there going, I must be the dummy in the room <laughs> because I have no idea what they're talking about. And you go, I'm intelligent, I'm smart, I should figure this out. 
Sometimes when Jesus spoke, it sounded good to those people who heard it, but they didn't understand it. And they weren't always willing to admit they didn't get it. And when his disciples say to him, why are you teaching this way? It would almost seem as if God doesn't want you to get it. But that's not true about God. He always wants us to get it. But he knows that all of us aren't ready to hear it. And all of us aren't ready to hear it and act on what we hear. Amen. So sometimes when he teaches or gives an explanation, we may not all get it, but he still teaches. He still throws out the seed. He still plants the word. Jesus came to teach the Hwaiti people, the sons and daughters of Israel, about who his heavenly father was. From the beginning of creation, God had made humanity in order to have face-to-face -face relationship. Sin gets in the way, and God no longer has face-to-face -face communion. You read through the Hebrew history, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Joshua, Judges. First and second Samuel. Go through the Kings. Go through Chronicles. You keep going and you see God time and time again desiring relationship and the people looking around them and going, we want to be like everybody else. God sends them a prophet and they ask for a king. God sends them kings and they want other kings. They are never satisfied. And Jesus comes at the appropriate time. Emmanuel, God with us. He comes to teach us who Yahweh really is and what he's really about. Jesus doesn't teach to make them feel good that they are the sons and daughters of Israel. Jesus teaches because he wants to cause a radical shift and change and understanding in their mind. You see, following Jesus is not about being comfortable with your state. I'm saved, good for me. Following Jesus is dangerous. Because when you say yes, when I say yes, we're telling him, whatever you say, I'll do. For real, for real. For real. So if you tell me to go serve overseas, hmm. Jesus, I'll go. And then he goes, no, stay local. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I'll go. <laughs> He's not asking us to follow him out of a sense of obligation. He's not asking us to follow him out of a sense of guilt. Jesus wants us to follow him and his father because we absolutely get who he is. And we absolutely understand who he is. And we are drawn to him and willing to let him be God. I just went on my first overseas mission trip. Yay! And I've never wanted to go overseas. Well, you have to understand why. Because I come from the island of Jamaica. 
So for me, mission field was U United States. <laughs> and this is not saying anything about Jamaica. Let me explain what I mean. I grew up in the Caribbean, and so I came to the United States. And for me, neighborhoods that, um, I, let me give you some background. I worked in um, Laurelton, Queens, because Queens, New York was home for me forever. Woo woo, New York City. And I got an opportunity to work in Harlem for a number of years before I left and went to Michigan. And one of the things that struck me while I lived in New York was the disparity that I saw in communities, in urban communities. Certain neighborhoods you went into, you would find wonderful stores. As a matter of fact, in Manhattan, you could, if you were downtown Manhattan on the Lower East Side, or even on the Upper East Side, you'd find wonderful supermarkets, but if you went into Harlem, there were no supermarkets whatsoever. There was no fresh fruit, no produce. You know, young people could live in the blocks that I used to teach and never have gone outside of a three-block radius, never. And the people who they saw in their corners uh, were not people who would engender you this idea to go to school and get an education. The people that they had conversations with did not help them, inspire them to be more. So for me, I've never really felt pushed to go overseas. Do you understand? I am a local diehard. I want to go into San Bernardino. I want to go into LA. I want to go into those areas. So that's my mission field. But I live in Loma Linda. I'm just saying. So I get to go to a developing country. I get to go to Nigeria. For the first time in my life, I go on that long flight. Listen, for all of you who do those long flights, God bless you. They're long. Long. And I get to Nigeria, and I have no expectation, because I have many friends who are Nigerian. I have Nigerian friends who are Igbo. I have Nigerian friends who are Yoruba. As a matter of fact, some of you are going, what are you talking about? Well, the, the country of Nigeria, the people are, have different tribes. And the larger tribes, of course, are the Yoruba and the, the Igbo people. And so I get there, and they explain to me how not to talk to people when you're going through, you know, through customs and stuff. Those of you who travel, you know how that is. You just don't say anything. You hold on to your stuff. You know, you, you that talk to the leader. He's the leader over there. I'm just, mm-hmm, just standing right here. And so I get out, and we, we start traveling, and we are stuck in traffic. We fall asleep. We wake up. We're still in traffic. The roads, my, my, my. I was just struggling about, why is there a, oh, oh, it was, it was rough. So my Nigerian friends say to me, well, what are you thinking? I was like, I really, I, I had no perception. I had, I had no idea of what I was going to come to. So for me, I'm open to what I'm seeing around me. And one of the things that I learned from one of my um, Yoruba friends is in Nigeria, if you have a little money, you can have someone drive you around. You, you have someone drive you in your car, right? And, there's a, and, and you sit not behind the driver, but you sit over here behind the front passenger, and that's called the owner's corner. Say owner's corner with me. Now, in the owner's corner, the owner can look over the driver and say, hey, hey, slow down. You're driving too fast. <laughs> and my Yoruba people love to, like, love to add O to everything. You're driving too fast, O. <laughs> You're going to cause an accident. Or they go, hey, what is wrong with you? Did you not see the car coming? <laughs> so the owner's corner is a pretty important corner because you, you get to negotiate with your driver and tell him, slow down, get out of the way. And, and one of the things that I've learned in my own personal walk with God is that I can't sit in the owner's corner with him. 
You know that sign people have on their cars like, God, Jesus is my co-pilot? I pray you never put it on your car. He can't be your co-pilot. He has to be the pilot. How are you going to tell God how to fly? I'm going to say it. I'm just saying. So you can't be his co-pilot. Can you be in the front seat and do that whole, well, if I was driving, you know what I would have done? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone that way. That whole Monday morning quarterback thing. Any, any, any New York Giants fans in the house? I live with one. He's in mourning right now. And you know, he, he, Monday morning quarterback, if he had done this, if he had done that. So that's what the person in the front does, because they're not the one with the responsibility of turning the wheel. So they have a lot of commentary. So the owner back here, stop, pull up, turn over. And I have learned in my life that when I try to drive, I mess it up. When I sit in the passenger seat and try to give commentary to Jesus about what he should have done and who he should have told to do what in my life, he doesn't need to listen to me and my advice, foolishness. When I go in the back corner and I try to be the owner and tell him how to direct my life, again, I mess it up. So do you know where I sit now? Behind a driver, which is a dangerous place to sit because you can't always see where you're going. So you have a choice. You either trust the driver knows where they're going and make no comments, or you can do like I do often now, just go to sleep and wake up. Say, wake me up when we get there. That is the invitation that Jesus extends to you and to me. Class of 2012 and 13 and 14 and 15, etc. He invites you to sit behind him and let him lead in your life. You may not get everything. You may not understand everything the first time he says it. But he is patient enough to wait because he knows that at some point the harvest will come. The sower sows the seed. That's what he comes to do. He comes to sow. Is this seed he sows? It's the word of God. It is God with us. Who is the sower? Jesus. He has come to tell us about his father. He has come to tell us about this kingdom. So if we go down to the rest of the chapter, after the little 10-minute break, and we come back, he then goes on to explain what the parable means. Matthew 13, verses 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, such a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I know you already understand the parable. I asked you not to think with your understanding before we read it. Because my interest this morning was not to talk to you about the conditions of the soil, per se. 
Because one of the questions that I had was, what makes good soil good? Does the soil make itself good? Does it? Does it? No. Soil doesn't change its condition. It is the farmer, it is the sower who has to come. Remove the weeds, remove the stones. Add topsoil. Put in the nutrients to make that ground ready. I submit to you this morning, London University, that all of us in this room will become good soil, but not because we do anything. Some of us are stony right now. Some of us are that, that, that pavement that's off on the side. What I am glad about, though, is that you will not remain in that condition. Amen, somebody. You do not have to remain that way. We don't make ourselves good. We don't make ourselves ready. God does. And what does he do, whether we are good or not? He sows the seed. Some of you in this room this morning struggle with the understanding in the Judeo-Christian world. We know we serve a God who is coming again. And when you look around you, you see, oh my goodness, it could be any moment. And we focus so much on the end that we miss what we're called to do. Should we talk about the end times? Yes, we should. But if I have come to know this Jesus, and I follow this Jesus, then I now become a sower of seed. And I can't make people ready. That's what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit does. What I do is sow the seed. This whole quarter, we've been sowing seeds. We've challenged you and talked to you about going to serve others while you're preparing to become all the wonderful things you're going to become in the medical and health profession. We've challenged you and said to you, we want you to live out our mission to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we know you have stuff going on. Some of you just like, Jesus, I really want to do it, but can I do it after I finish school? And we're saying, no, do it now. Some of you are saying, Jesus, I'll do it if I don't get married. Woohoo! Because, Jesus, you know you need to give me my husband. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I know you. I have conversations with you. And I was. I know people like you. We want to put all kinds of stipulations in there before we do what God has called us to do. And we want to simply say to you, won't you partner with us in sowing the seed? You don't have to see it come to harvest. Because the Bible tells us harvest will come. What we want you to do is just sow. I'm, I'm not a farmer, really. I, I aspire to be like Dr. 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 Um, what's his name? Yeah, him. <laughs> I aspire to be like him, but I'm, one thing I do, I do is I grow African violets. And this is what I grow them from. Terry. We lost one. Okay. What do you see here? What do you see? Speak to me. Come on. A leaf. Do you, can you scan the camera? I don't know. Can you see the roots here? These two plants that you see right here came from one leaf. In this pot, I'm gonna turn it, hopefully you can catch it. In this pot, 
You see a leaf that's caught and one that has not. You see? It's dying. When I took these leaves from the ladies whose house I visited and I planted them in the water and they all got roots and I put them in some soil, I was really excited about what they would look like because I didn't know what colors the, the flowers were because hers weren't flowering anymore. I was very disappointed when I got up one morning and one of them did not live. I had six leaves that had sprouted and looked like they had potential, but only five plants survived, and they have bloomed all year long. If my focus had been on the one that had not grown, then I would have missed out on the abundance of the others. And now what I've done is I have now taken leaves from these, and I'm now getting ready to do my next batch of plants. My colleagues, students, all of us, all of us are called to serve. We don't get to choose where we go. Sometimes we do. But I'm inviting you to be willing to say to God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. If you send me what I'm willing to do, I'll sow that seed. If you have ears, I pray that you will hear. Father, thank you for this time. And I ask God that you would bless and keep these men and women as they continue to prepare for their uh, final exams. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless them as they continue to prepare for the, the, in the various fields that they are working in and preparing for here in the health professions here at Loma University. And then I pray, Lord God, that they would accept your invitation to go out and to sow seeds of kindness, of love, of grace, of comfort, of tenderness, and to sow into the lives of others a hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, as Terry said, we are in that Christmas season, Lord God, and we can get so bombarded by buying stuff and acquiring stuff, and I pray that we won't get lost in that but that we would be excited about Emmanuel, God who is with us, and that we would share that with all we come in contact with. Be with these men and women, Lord God, until we gather again in this fashion. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.